I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Al Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. All right, Al Pellets, uh, we are excited today to welcome Trey Easterly to the nest. Is that what we have as an Al Pellet, as a, as a, as no, a nest? No, we do not. Or no. a pellet? I'm not, I'm not sure what... what Take three. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had a rough time getting this started. So anyway, to save us, Trey. Wow. I, yeah, I feel welcome to whatever this is. I appreciate that. <laughs> so Trey, so, tell, us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I am Trey Easterly. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Florida in agricultural education. Uh, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but um, do some research related to beginning teachers and how can we provide curricular materials to support them. And before my role at the University of Florida, I spent three years as an assistant professor at New Mexico State University. And so we'll talk a little bit about the great state of New Mexico uh, as we kind of unpack this paper. Fantastic. And so you kind of gave us a little bit of an overview there, but give us give us kind of a quick summary about what we're going to be focusing on here during today's podcast. Okay, so before we jump into that, I want to ask each of you, what is the smallest high school that you've ever been in? That I've smallest ever... re- in regards to student numbers, not size of classroom that we've ever been in or taught in yes oh okay to they're not of those questions. my high school was not that small um i taught in a school of about 500 um and i'm trying to think what the smallest pro the smallest program that i probably ever visited was probably in oregon um and was probably probably around 100 students for the student body for the high school okay that's right where I was going to be, right around 100, between that 90 and 100. So I taught in a high school where we had 264 students in the high school, grades 9 through 12. But the smallest school I've ever been to is in Cedar Key, Florida, which has about 250 students pre-K through 12. So that, you know, do the math there across 13 years for 250 students. So that would be the smallest school I've ever been to. Okay. Well, I got invited or um, showed up to a high school to visit the teacher and learn more about what's going on uh, at a school in New Mexico. And they asked, did I want to speak to the junior and senior class? I said, sure. Never pass up on an opportunity to talk about agricultural education and try to recruit students. And so as I'm talking to the junior and senior class at this school, there are five of us sitting around the table. One of them teaches the class and one of them was the keynote speaker. (laughs) (laughs) So there are some really, really small schools uh, in New Mexico and, and in the Western United States, you know, once you get west of the Mississippi river, um, these schools can, can become really, really small and redistricting and, um, kind of pushing these schools together. I grew up in a, in a small county, rural county in North Carolina, um, where all of the schools in the county got redistricted together to form this county school. 
Um, and that made some sense for, for where I was. It was about 20 minutes for me to drive to the high school that I um, went to. But when some of these schools are so rural and so remote that you're talking an 80, 90 mile drive already for students, there's no redistricting that kind of makes sense. And so some of these schools are kind of left out um, in rural areas uh, that the schools have served those communities for years and, and the school kind of makes sense. Um, so I was working with a graduate student several years ago um, when the idea of this study kind of generated and she came down into my office and said, how are things going? And she, she expressed some frustration about, you know, I, I really enjoy teaching, but this piece about FFA, it's becoming really challenging to get students involved in FFA. Uh, so I have sign-up sheets on the board, but just students aren't really interested in it. And so when I visited her school to learn more about the, where she was and um, kind of her context, I found out the freshman class at that school had four students in it. So if, if the freshman class has a, a class of four students, if they can all carpool in a Pontiac to get to the school, um, you're obviously gonna be kind of limited in, in what you're doing. Um, and she was kind of going about that approach for, um, for what she was doing, like she was teaching at a large school. So she had sign-up sheets on the board for about eight or nine different contests and um, had this vision for really big FFA participation and enrollment. And, and it just didn't, didn't really fit for her program. Um, so we kind of spitballed some research ideas and, and talked a little bit about what we might do and said, have you ever thought about calling some teachers who are in small schools and asking them what works for them? Um, and she said that she hadn't, and we came up with a list of really good teachers. And I said, better yet, why don't we do this as an interview and record them and make this a qualitative research project? So uh, that's what we set out to do. Now, her plans changed a little bit, and I pulled on some other partners onto this project. So Frank Hodnett, uh, who is at New Mexico State University, did the interviews, and uh, Mary Rodriguez from Ohio State um, kind of helped with the qualitative um, rigor there and made sure that it was a robust qualitative study. Um, but we set out just to ask really good teachers kind of what they what, what led to success in their programs. This is, I think, just so critical because so often, like you said, we talk about this big model of FFA. And there, I think there are so many things that you've already kind of hit on that really help us, that, that can help us take these implications from a small school, even into a big, big school. If I think about my own teaching where in the winter, we just, we had to be really careful about what we took on because the number of kids in basketball and in wrestling and in everything else meant I did not have an officer team from December to February. So I think there, there are some huge implications from, from a small school that, that translate for a lot of people. And you had a couple of those you wanted to talk about, right, Trey? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think kind of the big takeaway here, and these give us some really good things to think about, just like you said, for small programs with, um, and, and just, just for fun, looking at the methods of our papers, the range of our programs um, the smallest school that we had had 44 students, seventh through 12th grade. Uh, and then the largest school that we had in this was 120 K our uh, middle school through high school. Um, so really, really small schools. 
um, that we're looking at. But the findings kind of hold and it, it brings in some really interesting conversations no matter the size of the program. So I think the first takeaway that we had is more is not more. And so what I mean by that is when these successful teachers talked about what made them successful, um, they took programs that were maybe too big and doing too many things and pared it down. There was one teacher that she took over a program and started with eight or nine different CDEs and the students weren't doing them really well and the same students were participating in those things. And she said, nope, we're doing four. And we're going to focus on these four and we're going to do these four well. And if you do these four well, we'll add a fifth. Um, and taking that approach led to some su success in that program. And that wasn't a one-off thing. When we looked at the themes that we found in here, they were really kind of moderating what they were doing and what they're taking on uh, as advisors. Yeah, I think that is so important. We talked so much about just people being overworked and teachers trying to do too much. And there's too many FFA events and too many contests and too many of these sort of things. And I think you know, the, school, the school size of what you looked at here kind of made you sift through all that kind of stuff because maybe some of the larger programs you can kind of fake your way through because mm -hmm. the, 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 the denominator number to divide by number of students is big enough to kind of hide this a little distress where you're saying if it's a small school, you just don't have the numbers to do it. So it makes you really be more intentional, which I think is kind of good. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not a, a denominator issue. What we found is in these small schools, and this goes back to the review of literature and what we found from these. In these small schools, the students feel really connected with the teachers in these programs. And so they're involved in everything. Whereas what I've seen in a large school, you kind of have all of these opportunities and the students go through and pick and choose and they'll, they'll kind of self-select that they're an ag kid or they're on the football team. And then when football season's over, they switch to basketball or, or whatever it is. They, they kind of find their pockets, but in these small schools, there are no pockets. There's just one big pouch that they all, um, they all kind of work in. And I think one of the things I... I see in some of those small schools too, where, where students are successful and programs are successful. You have um, other program band and chorus and athletics and ag ed and FFA all kind of working and collaborating together and figuring out how those students can be involved in all of those things kind of simultaneously instead of the comp the competition and the overlapping. So did you see some of that? Did you hear a little bit of that kind of tease out in, in some of your work? Oh, absolutely. And it was not subtle hints. It was loud <laughs> screams at that. Uh, relationships are absolutely key um, when, when you're in a small program. And so, you know, they talked about sitting down and planning out the FFA calendar and getting the FFA calendar next to the volleyball calendar and making sure that those events don't overlap and planning early and often uh, and making sure that they're working together. Um, there was a lot of spirit among not making a student choose this or that um, because you just don't have the bandwidth to, to make these make these students choose. Um, 
I, I think another takeaway from this study is, is you think about that not making a kid choose. And we said in these small programs that the students are participating in everything is we have to be really careful to look at this from the student perspective and not the ag ed program perspective. And, and that's a tough one, right? Because if you're the ag teacher, you're kind of based on is that ag program good or not? Um, but when you shift that paradigm and you figure out, okay, what's best for the students in this school and how can I provide opportunities for them? That changes it a little bit. You know, my, my fiance is a, a pediatric dentist um, and they have consultants when they're building a new office. And one of the things that the consultants will do when they're looking at a new office or providing recommendations for that office is they'll get down on their hands and knees and walk into that office so that they can see what it's like for a four-year-old to come into that dental office and what's the perspective. Can they see over the desk for the receptionist or is that person just a, a talking head behind the counter? And what experiences are they getting from that? And, and I think we can learn from that in, in this kind of program here. What experiences are our students getting as they walk into the school? How many times are they being asked to participate and what does a day look like for them? What time do they have to get up? What time do they have to ride the bus? Uh, one of the teachers talked about um, the, the bus rides that students face and what time they have to get up. Uh, there was an interesting piece in here and I would not recommend um, a teacher to do this, but this teacher had been um, in that school for a long time and um, lived right next to the school. But on days where they had to get up for FFA contest, they rolled out sleeping bags in his living room and stayed there because if they were to get up to go to a contest at, you know, and leave at six in the morning, they would have to get up at two in the morning um, to be able to make it to school. So, um, you know, not again, not recommending that to <laughs> most teachers, but just kind of interesting how, how he made that work within that community in that context. Well, I think here, Trey, we just, Oftentimes, too often, when we're looking and highlighting programs, we keep thinking about these large programs, large things have, but maybe not to the to the the level that you're that some of these schools here. But we have a lot of small schools and a lot of small programs in this country, and probably you know there's a lot of folks that are dealing with this, and they try to act like they have 300 members to to choose from, or there's 1,300 students in the school to pull from, where there's a lot of schools that are going to have the two to 300, maybe 400 students in the whole school to, to do that. And how do we help set expectations for teachers? <clears throat> and really, I hope the, the key message you talk about there is how do we set expectations for those students so they understand it? Because those students want to, to, to make the teachers happy and, yeah. and really respect that ag teacher. And they're not, how many ways we pull them in unadvertently? Yeah. Well, I, the thing I th think you have to think about too is what is the FFA model um, and how does that kind of fit in and how can you adjust that? And, and I know the folks at National FFA would, would not say that you have to use this model for every program, but you take something like the national chapter where you have the officer team that kind of oversees every event. And then you have um, committee chairs for each different event that you're hosting throughout that. In these small chapters, you don't have enough people 
to have an officer team and a membership chair for everyone. It's one of the teachers even talked about, we have officers, but my students can even tell you which officer is which. They all just kind of operate as a team. And if you're an FFA member, you're automatically an officer. So that leadership structure was kind of adapted and made to fit in that program. And so you have to think about not just CDEs, but how does the leadership structure fit? How does the award uh, structure and the opportunities um, kind of fit to go in there? One of the things that I think about too, when you talk about student involvement and think about it from a student perspective, I noticed that it, in the small school where, where my kids went, um, because they're involved in everything, you know, their day starts at six o'clock in the morning, ends at 10 o'clock at night, almost every day of the week. And so thinking about the structure that students have going through high school and then graduating and moving on either to community college, a university, or even work and losing that sense of structure and, and the impact that that has on their life and their and, and learning how to adapt. And, and I don't know that we do a very good job of helping students think about that structure and that format when when they're transitioning from schools and, and their engagement there. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And, you know, maybe an, an area for any researchers out there that are interested in this to kind of think about how the structure that's set up and how they participate in schools helps them transition into post-secondary education and then life in the workforce uh, beyond that. Or if they choose to go right into the workforce, how is that, how is that setting them up? Because yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And they even talked about how worked the students are. If they have a structure and a, a place to be for every hour of the day from six in the morning till seven at night, what happens when that structure goes away? Right. Are, are they able to do that? That's a really, really good question. And are they then just gonna fill it in with more, with more busy? And you think about even some, we think about some of the challenges our own ag teachers face mm -hmm. who came up through programs where they just always need to be busy. So what do I do? I need to, I need to keep being busy. I need to fill in that schedule. So when you think about some of that, that success are there bigger implications that we can take from our small schools about how we think about having a successful ag program yeah did did you take away the quote i really love this the one ag teacher said you know working in a small school it's we've got it really easy it's kind of like the bahamas or tahiti <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you really dig into who this teacher is and kind of what he said throughout this and, and look at those quotes you see a really cool model for balance. Um, and, and I know this person very well. Um, I would not at all call this person unsuccessful in their program. And matter of fact, um, he's experienced a high level of success. He's highly regarded. People respect him in the community, in the state. Uh, he's a good teacher. The students like him. He's made a difference in their lives. Um, but he's found a way to balance that. Um, and he, he talks a little bit in there about how he worked at a big school first and moved to a small school and got there and was like, huh, this is this is all right. I kind of like this because the expectations are a little bit different there. Um, so I, I think we can kind of take away some some really important pieces from these teachers. Right. That 
that more is not more, that we can kind of build reasonable expectations and boundaries for this, we can take a look and say, what's best for the students at insert the blank high school rather than what's best for the ag ed program. Uh, and, and if those students are being successful and the need is met, then there's not a need to add another piece um, here. Uh, and then, you know, they, they found times where they are busy and they work hard, uh, but then they, they found some balance and some success in, in their lives and um, they will acquiesce to the volleyball team when it's time to, to let them have their moment in the spotlight. And, and most of the times here, it goes back to relationships. When it is time to let the volleyball team shine, they are the loudest cheerleader um, for that. So, yeah. True. Well, but it's also with the, the teachers, I'm thinking um, one of my best friends when I was growing up, he was a salutatorian of his graduating class, but was not in the top 10%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was number number two out of eight mm -hmm. in there. But then also with, with um, again, going back, talking about Cedar Key, Florida, the small school I was telling you about, the ag teacher there was also the um, high school science teacher, was also the middle school science teacher, and also taught uh, middle school math in addition to a class of high school ag and a class of middle school ag to do that. So there's a lot of things they're having to do. And one of the big quotes that, that he said to me was, we get to see these students from the moment they walk in the door as a kindergartner and, and that, and the, and the community and the relationship that's built with them and so focused on student success and really kind of what you're hitting on there before they, they evaluate success maybe differently than other teachers where they're not, yes, they want to win. Yes. They want to do things, but they're watching this, this kid go through the program and really become part of, become part of their lives. And so that's, that's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I went through a, a teacher ed program and um, talked to teachers in, in this more kind of traditional frame of a, a 1,200,000 student high school and always heard, if you're doing what you need to be doing as an ag teacher, you shouldn't be coaching this team or doing this thing. You should be focused on school-based agricultural education. Um, I stopped saying that when I moved to New Mexico because you cannot be successful. And based on these conversations, we saw this, you can't be successful in these schools if you don't take on some of those extra things because that's just what you do. You pick up the rope and you pull. Um, but I think I would reposition that no matter what size school you're in, don't do anything that's not going to lead to student success. And that right there is a great way, I think, to end the conversation, Trey. This has been fantastic. I think for all of us out there, we talk a lot about teacher expectations. And I think it's really understanding that idea of student success and knowing that it is not one size fits all. And how do we adapt the FFA model? And I, you know, I think our leaders in National FFA are seeing some of that because it gets it's put out in different ways in different states. Um, and I think that's important for us all to, to remember uh, as we're moving forward. So thanks a lot for having this, for doing this work and having this conversation with us, Trey. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the work that you're doing. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. 
Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.